This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Patsy DeFerris is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Okay, a little secret between me and you. Most nights before bed, I will sit down with the same small notebook and jot down a few things. And the headline is always the same. What is tomorrow about? It mostly looks like a to-do list, right? You're working, it's busy seasons, football's going on, but it's more to the point of what do I need to focus on tomorrow? What do I need to spend time with? Is it family? Is it the Herald? Is it this podcast? Pat's Interference brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Is it preparing for TV? What is tomorrow about captured in a few words so that I can remind myself if new things come up or things start to get hectic? So when I'm writing my column off of yesterday's game, Sunday, Patriots lose 21-17 to the Raiders. They fall to 1-5. I ask myself, what is this game about? Because what this season was supposed to be about is no longer a play, in my opinion. And so what I landed on is that that game was about the end of this season. Time of death, one minute, 47 seconds remaining. Mac Jones laying flat in his back in the end zone, taking a safety that sealed the win for the Raiders. Cause of death, bad offensive line, bad Mac, terrible roster building. We've covered it all for weeks. We're going to go over some of it today because you have a lot of mailbag questions. But the bottom line is there's no coming back from this for the Patriots. It's time to move on to the future. And if you disagree, let's go down the reasons because I was wrong. I was one of these people that thought this season was going to be about all of this. The Patriots proving people wrong, exceeding their seven and a half win total before this season. God, I'm sorry if I lost you any kind of money on that. Okay. But it's not about winning anymore. At one of five, your playoff hopes are shot, kaput. They have been moved to a farm upstate. Okay. Is this about finding Max potential? Even the proudest and loudest Max Ellis out there cannot believe that we'll learn anything about Mac Jones the rest of the season behind this offensive line. And the biggest doubters, I mean, they already, they already put in their papers, right? Like the, the defense has rested on that. Max stinks. He has committed just un, unfathomable, unacceptable errors in the last couple of games. He only started on Sunday. I can report because Zappy stinks worse. Will Greer still has a U-Haul in his driveway and they don't trust Malik Cunningham to throw. Okay. Bottom line is he hasn't been good enough. And even if he was a little bit better and we saw more of the Mac, like we did in weeks one and two, when he also threw an interception in both those games, this offensive line is not getting any better. He's a pocket bound point guard who right now is getting blitzed in every single play and can't distribute the ball to any kind of shooter because they have none on this team. Okay. Is this season about Belichick? Is it about Bill O'Brien? Resetting their careers or the course of this franchise or chasing a wins record? Uh, again, I don't think so. Because between the two of them, who do you trust more right now? Hazen O'Brien, his offense is second worst in the league at passing and running, according to EPA. Belichick's defense, meanwhile, has given up an opening drive score in four of the last six games. And of course, it's down two of its best players. Okay, it's not going to look great. But the Patriots have been down by double digits in the first half of every single game, except for wins over the uh, Cardinals. And that might be a game against the Jets. 
dating back to last Thanksgiving. Next Thanksgiving is about a month away. Okay. So with all of that considered and all the sadness that you have, the season is now about the future. And that's why I say it is absolutely unequivocally without any more doubts, time to sell. Kendrick Bourne, gone. Josh Uche, find him a new home. Jalen Mills, upset with his playing time. He could find a lot more just going back to Philadelphia and playing more corner or safety or whatever they want, okay? The Patriots should start trading their assets as we're two weeks out from the trade deadline because they're not beating Buffalo and they're not beating Miami. And they'll have a chance now to set this market and get what they want as opposed to reacting to another team striking first, maybe like the Raiders. Under Renfro is on the block. And that guy's got a bigger salary than Kendrick Bourne. But if Hunter Renfro only goes for a seventh round pick, a guy who's made a Pro Bowl, you're probably not getting a whole lot more for Kendrick Bourne. This is the least explosive offense in the NFL. Again, your defense is racked with injuries. I don't blame them for losing Matt Judon or Christian Gonzalez or dealing with this offense. That is just an absolute weight on them, dragging them to the bottom of the ocean that seems to be bottomless because they just keep sinking further and further. And I don't get any joy in this. For the record, for the people in the back sneaking me a middle finger down at their side. All right. Like my life after Thanksgiving, I realized today is going to be a lot of mock drafts and more of mocking the offense. That's not fun. OK, that's not interesting. I want what you want in a different way. Good football along the way. OK, you want the result, the win. My feelings are independent, win or lose. But of course, I want to see good football. I want unpredictable. I want interesting. OK, we haven't gotten any of that. And I don't think we're getting any of it moving forward. But for the best interest of the Patriots franchise to give themselves their best chance moving forward starting in 2024 and 2025, when they already have the most cap space in the league as it stands today, both those off seasons, they should start offloading assets like Bourne, Uche, Mills, and maybe others. And assets, to be clear, are very low on this roster. All right. But these are players who are either unlikely to return, might be in contract year. All three of those players I just listed are in contract years. They play premium positions like Bourne at receiver, Josh Uche as a pass rusher. They're players that you think you could stoke a bidding war for. And they're players that are at least kind of playing well. Okay. You cannot go out there and sell Hunter Henry right now to anyone coming off of a career worst season when he caught one pass for seven yards on Sunday and his numbers have completely nosedived since week two. Okay. Farrell Brown is having bigger impact as a receiver right now than Hunter Henry, considering his cap number second highest on the team or highest on the offense. Uh, you're not, you're not moving him out. Not to mention he's a captain. If they want to retain part of the locker room, you retain Hunter Henry. And you look at Uche. Okay. I mean, actually let's start with Bourne. Bourne was number one on the list of the comment I wrote on Sunday, a player who had 10 catches. On 11 targets for 89 yards. He got the ball seven times in a 13-play stretch in that fourth quarter against Vegas. Okay, This was playing with one dude who can actually dribble, shoot, and pass on a high school basketball team who was scoring every other bucket. That was Kendrick Bourne with Devontae Parker sidelined for stretches by uh, Jalen Rager. Okay, Hunter Henry was banged up. They just kept feeding Kendrick, feeding Kendrick, feeding Kendrick, and he got things done. You are selling high right now in that player. A guy playing out a team-friendly contract who can play inside and out, leads the team in receptions, receiving yards, it's tied for the team leading touchdowns, okay? That's a guy you offload now. Sell high. Uche, um, first game for him all season without a pressure. Here's the thing. Any smart front office looks at him, a 25-year-old pass rusher, and goes, he's still got something that most players don't. And by that, I mean, he entered Sunday with one of the 15 highest win rates among edge rushers in the NFL, ahead of T.J. Watt, 
and ahead of Khalil Mack, okay, according to pro football focus. So the problem in New England is he can't see the field. He's playing about 38% of the snaps right now, a career high. It's not due to health. It's due to the fact that Belichick goes, okay, if you're going to play on the edge, uh, you got to be able to set that edge for us on early downs against the run. And the Raiders ran right out, okay, on the left side on their first drive, and he didn't play again on early downs for the rest of the game. There was a holding penalty that brought it back, but it was a long run. You get the point. Okay. Uche is a third down specialist in New England. That's all he'll be. They're not going to pay him like a defensive end who gets the sack numbers that he picked up last year because he doesn't play enough for them. And it's a shame. He's got rare, rare talent. And you can fill those 38% of the snaps. Okay. With a bit player or call somebody else up. Judon might even be back in December, but right now he's looking like a guy more and more that will be out of town come March. Make it happen in October, like Bourne, I would expect maybe a fifth, maybe a pick swap that can get you something that you can parlay into something more or at least help expedite the rebuild. Jalen Mills isn't going to get that, but again, veteran in contract year, cheap contract, can play multiple stops. He's in known uh, spots. He's a known commodity. These are the type of players that you're looking at and saying they can help us expedite a rebuild because they won't be here next year or they're not good enough to stick around in 2024 or won't want to be here. So you might as well offload them now. This Patriot season is over. It's about the future and that sucks. But the reality is the faster you can get back to being good is by realizing how bad you have it now and offloading players that can play well elsewhere to net you draft picks and more assets that you're really running low on. And snap into NFL action this season with an America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200. That's two zero zero in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, you hear me make these ad reads and hopefully don't fast forward. Get your money and get into the action right now. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders. I hit the under for Patriots Dolphins. I just had the wrong team winning. Uh, and lots more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. $200 in bonus bets with just your first $5 bet. Must be 21 year older and present Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet and expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions to apply. Please see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Game says ma.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Okay, let's do the good, the bad. What would NFL film say? We need to talk, mailbag, and get out of here. The good, uh, Kendrick Bourne. I already said it. 10 catches, 11 targets, 89 yards. Uh, he, he was a beast. He broke tackles, three more than anyone else on the roster. And is a guy you can just trust. Okay, trust was the word of Patriots training camp. That's a guy I trust. It's certainly not going to be Devontae Parker. More on him in a little bit. Jabril Peppers. I think with that hit on Devontae Adams, popped the ball up, Raiders' second or third drive, resulted in interception for Jelani Tavai, Patriots' first turnover since week two. I think that shook the sphere all the way across town. That was an old-school, badass, Rodney Harrison was smiling somewhere kind of fit, okay? And not only did Peppers spark the first turnover for the Patriots since, I think, Vietnam, um, it was against the Dolphins, Chris Gonzalez, we all remember, he had a pass breakup on the last drive that helped force the Raiders to punt. He had a hurry 
as a blitzer and a run stuff. Okay. This dude was everywhere. He's playing the best football of his career. He is not an asset because I think his reputation around the league is still sullied by the fact that he was mostly a special teamer with the giants before that busted out with the Browns. Everyone would, they didn't win a game as rookie year, but he was also 28. And I was finding a home here. Uh, and is on a good deal. Players like that. You want to keep, especially if Duggar leaves, I mentioned Jelani Tavai catches a lot of flack on Twitter in the fan base. Not only had the interception, but when Keon White left in the first quarter, they had basically no one to play the edge. Again, they're not letting Josh Uche do it. Anthony Jennings is already up because Matt Judon is hurt. So they stuck to buy out there. And you know what? He did a damn good job because he had a quarterback hit. He helped limit Josh Jacobs to 3.1 yards per carry. And the game plan for Josh McDaniels is twofold. You know, through big personnel, multiple tight ends and or six offensive linemen, they were taking deep shots on first down. And the Patriots did a good job of protecting against that. Only one big first down gain. It was a 21-yarder from Hoyer to Devontae Adams in the third quarter. But aside from that, they were running more toss plays than I think you might see in any game for the rest of the year. And Jelani Tavai, along with others, helped limit those to just 4.1 yards per carry. So there was one run that got through. I think it was an outside zone in the second half. But otherwise, they stopped one of the best running backs in the league. Granted, working behind a not-so-great offensive line. But their best players are the tackles. Okay, Thayer Munford and Jermaine Illuminor. Tavai helped negate that at a position that's really not natural for him. In addition to the quarterback hit as a pass rusher and collecting that interception off the carom, good game from him. Uh, running game, much better. Yeah, we had a touchdown. The Patriots offense scored a touchdown. Ezekiel Elliott, direct snap. Little single wing offense. Welcome back. Uh, one of the few snaps from Malik Cunningham. He ran with good power, great pad level, and the Patriots got back to their running game with some counter stuff. We talked about this all last year. The, there's nothing inherently bad about zone blocking. It's only when your roster, your talent, is not suited for zone blocking, like the Patriots are not. This is a heavy line. Six foot eight, 380 pound Trent Brown. Antonio Maffi next to him, tips the scales at 330. Okay, City Sow is playing tackle. Not because he's small and fleet of foot, like a typical guard in his own scheme. It's because he's a big freaking dude, okay? So they ran a couple counter plays, just overall better running game. I thought they should have gone more to. Again, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, on to the bad. <sighs> Mac Jones. Again, if you're framing this conversation about the Patriots offense, 31st in the league at passing and running, as is, it's not Mac's fault, it's Bill O'Brien in the offensive line. Or it is Mac's fault, it's not so much in the offensive line. You are wrong. The blame belongs with everybody. The bleep, as I've said, has hit the fan and everybody is wearing it. Mac Jones has not been good enough in most of the Patriots games this season. Full stop. And that included Sunday. Okay, same problems for him. He got rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds on average from snap to throw. It's a good idea. Offensive line stinks. When he did not do that, however, he panicked. According to Pro Football Focus, Mac held the ball for over two and a half seconds. He was four of nine for 35 yards in an interception. You can't do it. Just throw it away. We said on the last podcast, a throwaway for Mac Jones in this game was a good play. More than that, under pressure, which he did not see a whole lot of, just about 21% of his dropbacks. That's one out of every five. That's not bad. He was two of five with three sacks in the pick. You can't do that. Okay. Uh, Throwing the delay game penalty and the near pick that we saw in the fourth quarter that went to Ty Montgomery, but really should have gone to Robert Spillane. And it was a bad game for him. Now he threw one of the best balls I've ever seen him throw 
to Devontae Parker, who dropped it. And we've already mentioned Parker twice, so let's get to him. That's not Max' fault. The offensive line penalties at the start were not Max' fault. Okay, but we can separate, we can isolate his play from everybody else's. And when you have them in each hand and you go, where's the good? It's not anywhere. You're holding a bunch of crap in both hands. That's how the Patriots offense has been. Again, it's, it's everywhere. Parker, uh, one catch, three targets, seven yards, one lame-ass comment after the game saying, I don't know, it hit my fingertips on the deep ball, that he dropped a perfect pass that split a trailing corner and a converging safety, and he let it go. You are this team's big play threat, okay? You are a highly paid NFL wide receiver. You were, for stretches this summer, the number one wide receiver. And right there in that play, and in those comments to the media afterward, you were a zero. That's what Devontae Parker was. Incredibly lame. And in texting with a couple people within the team, they actually weren't that surprised, okay, about Devontae Parker. I don't know what that says. It doesn't seem great to me, but he's catching a lot of flack right now, and deservedly so. Uh, Same for the offensive line. Look, Teddy Bruschi probably put this best today in Get Up when he said that when you have four penalties, okay, to start the game, and then at the end, Bill's message is not getting through. Because those are basic, fundamental errors that the Patriots used to not only not commit, but watch their opponents commit and just sit back and let them implode. And that's what the Patriots are doing now. You want a false start on the first freaking play from scrimmage. Then Trent Brown goes too far outfield. On a screen. And then on the last drive, Antonio Maffi holding penalty. Drive before that, City South, false start when you're at the doorstep of the end zone. They got in thanks to a Max Crosby penalty. But this is an offensive line that allowed pressure, again, just 21% of the time. That's pretty good. Mac did a lot of the work getting the ball out. Very accurate day for him, by the way. Again, 84% adjust the completion percentage. He's take away the throwaways, take away the spikes, take away the whatever. When he needed to deliver the ball, he did it. But this offensive line had just a couple of run stops allowed, not that much pressure, and it still did too much damage to this offense to give it a shot. Speaking of doing damage to the offense, Bill O'Brien, what are we doing? Despite facing one of the NFL's worst run defenses by every single metric, and look, if you're if you're upset, if I'm if I'm uh, triggering you in any sort of way, totally get it. Skip to the mailbag. We're going to talk about a lot of big picture stuff coming up. Because it's just it's just frustrating. Again, this offense went from dead last in passing and rushing to 31st after this game. And you can be excited and you should be excited about the touchdowns. But let's not pretend watching this game, anyone had any sure belief that Mac Jones was going to drive the length of the field for his second career fourth quarter comeback. It just wasn't going to happen. That's the four-point difference was not representative of the game. And part of that was Bill O'Brien's fault. As I said, one of the worst run defenses in the entire league is across the line of scrimmage. Okay. What does Bill O'Brien do? Well, the first half, he calls passes on 75% of the first down plays the Patriots had. Now, it's a small sample. They didn't have many possessions. But you know what those first down plays did for the entirety of the game? They gained two and a half yards per play. Meanwhile, running the ball, which the Patriots did on four straight first down plays to start the second half, and those four plays gained 36 yards, the Patriots averaged 6.1 yards per play on first down when they ran it. What a shock. What a, I can't believe it. The Raiders stink at run defense. And when you run on them, you might chug as the Patriots did to your first touchdown drive since late September. 
Okay. But they finished with a 65% pass rate on first down. And this was not a score that got out of control. Again, they took their sweet time in the fourth quarter, got down for another touchdown, a rushing touchdown, by the way, from Rondre Stevenson. But when you more than double your average game on first down, running the ball instead of passing, and your pass rate is basically double your running rate, there's something wrong there with the play calling. You can't have it. Not to mention their, their passing plan from 11 personnel, three receivers, one running back, one tight end, was dreadful because they averaged 3.1 yards per play from those spread sets, two sacks, including the safety, and a pick. But we need to talk the segment in place of game balls because we don't hand those out after losses. Uh, in this segment, we save it for the pass rush because it's officially time to uh, throw up the red flag sound off the alarms on a Matt Judonless pass rush. And again, it's not a surprise. You lose your best player. You lose your best pressure, pass rusher, a guy who's made four straight pro bowls that things drop off. But the last three weeks, this defense hasn't cracked a 25% pressure rate. Okay. And Sunday's 21.2% pressure rate was their lowest of the season. Okay. You can't possibly have that. And the plan was pretty simple. Third down, a lot of interior blitzing. Sometimes they would bluff. You see Juwan Bentley or Kyle Duggar hang over the center. Sometimes it was over the guard. This generates one-on-one matchups across the board. And they'll, they'll read the turn of the center, meaning he knows he's either going to go left or right. Okay. And then the other player who's watching this rushes when he doesn't have the guard or the center turn to him. Okay. Because there's an open spot. He's turned to block the other player who then pops out. This is called the rain check. Okay. The center turns left and you're to the left and you're, you're faking this blitz. You back out. Okay. And the other guy goes, the Raiders were ready for this. Jimmy Garoppolo, just like Mac Jones, dribbles down his leg against pressure. He didn't do this against the blitz. He was three of five for over 50 yards. And there was the pick, which I really, maybe should have been a fumble. I don't know. Uh, thanks to the Jabril Pepper set. But they were ready for it. Zero sacks for the Patriots. And they couldn't get to him. The only player with multiple hurries actually was Juwan Bentley. Uh, multiple pressures, I should say. He had two quarterback hits. Jerome Peppers mentioned at a hurry, Anthony Jennings, hurry, Devon Gachow, hurry, and Jelani Tavai, quarterback hit. Then two team hurries, a lot of blitzes. It's just everyone kind of gets close. You can see he's flustered. But Jimmy got the ball out, and so did Brian Hoyer. And Brian Hoyer was a little worse at it. But when you're blitzing, as the Patriots did last week against the Saints, and not getting home except for a coverage sack, and this week without Judon, you're not getting home with a four-man rush or blitzing. Um, it's an issue. So some of it's going to be scheme. But it's not going to get any easier against two teams that know you just as well as Josh McDaniels did coming up in Buffalo and Miami. Okay. <laughs> what would NFL Films say? Uh, last week, I said NFL Films would get a call from Robert Kraft who said, scrap this documentary, send it into the trash, bury it in the ocean, uh, dump it in the mash for the departed fans out there. Um, we'll do this quickly. They're going to play up the McDaniels and Bill Belichick angle in this fictitious hour-long documentary in the Patriots season. You'll see Jimmy to Jacoby, a little revenge game there for him. If you didn't read my report about how that went down, it was very different from how Bill Belichick described it on Wednesday. You can find that at thebostonherald.com. Then we get to Chad Ryland. 43, 48-yard field goal right down the middle. End the streak. Okay? 79 unanswered points for the Patriots allowed, dating back to week four. Done. 39 or whatever drives without uh, a score over okay they're on the board and you get a shot of the sideline some relief but still they go into halftime down 13 to 3 get the ball the second half 
you just get the Patriots unleashing their frustration on line scrimmage. Again, four first down runs consecutively, 36 yards, boom, 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 boom. Okay, the, Elliott gets a touchdown. Another friend, Brian Hoyer, comes in, hits a big play to Trey Tucker, go back and forth, tight game, yada, yada. The defense gets a stop, and then the same old problems crop up. And you see the Parker drop in slow motion way too many times than I know you want at home. And then Mack gets sacked in the quick exit press conference, and that's it. And the Patriots are forced to go back home where hopefully they, you know, it, the narrator surely throws in a uh, – like a home cooking kind of cliche line somewhere in there just to soften the blow. But again, one in one in five is, uh, is one of five. Okay. So you guys have heard me talk a fair amount about betting on this podcast, giving you some advice, told you where to make those bets. So I got a quick question for you. What if there was an app that used AI and machine learning to suggest smart sports bets? Well, good news. And you might've guessed it. There is. And that app is called odds are it's the mobile app you need to know what bets of the day are the smart ones. So just download the app right now, I'm serious, and sign up for an account. And just let the latest data analysis guide you through today's point spreads, money lines, and over-unders. If you see green, that's a smart bet. If you see yellow, you're on your own. And if you see red, just don't do it. Move on to the next. Because odds are doesn't take your bets. It makes you better at making them. With odds are on your mobile phone, you're always a tap away from making a smart play every day. It's smart betting made simple. So find the odds are app in the app store or on Google Play and get a two week free trial. It's just 10 bucks a month after that because the casinos and sports books want you to bet, but odds are wants you to win. Go get it. Pat's Interference listeners actually get a special deal too. You get your first 30 days of the app free, totally free. If you go to odds are, that's O-D-D-S, the letter R, dot com slash Pats to download the app. That's odds are.com slash P-A-T-S for 30 days of smarter betting. Free! I'd call that a winning bet. All right, on to the mailbag slash therapy session. Love you to relax here at the couch that, again, you can still not see for the folks in YouTube. It's actually covered and closed, by the way. So if you are going to come on the couch, please, please fold them for me. Um, the Boston GM, boy, this guy, <laughs> I would not want your mentions or DMs, Boston GM. He says, quote, let's assume the season progresses to a five or six win finish line and Bill is wholly removed from the organization. Do you think he could, one, get a head coaching job elsewhere? Or number two, negotiate his current setup as both head coach and autonomous personnel czar elsewhere? Uh, yes and yes, because here's the thing about Bill Belichick. Everyone in, everyone in New England right now thinks either he should be gone or is on his way out or is at least close to it, okay? Even those people with in Bill We Trust still somewhere uh, on a sign in their house. And everyone outside New England sees it to the same degree, just a, just a little bit less, okay? They remember more the 20 years, the greatest run in NFL history. And except for those folks who just love Tom Brady and want to get to that garbage binary argument of Bill or Tom, who was more responsible. They both did it and happened. They couldn't have done it without the other. And that's just the truth. I think you look at a team like the Panthers who have never known anything except for a trip to the Super Bowl in 2015 with Cam. And before that, 2003, of course, against the Patriots and David Tepper's pockets as the owner are bottomless. And you go, let's get him in here or the Chargers. I mean, what do you have to lose when you have Brandon Staley, who's already on the hot seat out there, a GM and Tom Telesco, who's probably riding shotgun with him. 
You bring in Bill Belichick, if you're a Chargers or a Panthers fan, oh my God, you are celebrating. We can't hear you because it's you and like five of your friends. But yes, I think Bill absolutely could get a job elsewhere. The question is, does Bill Belichick, greatest coach of all time, uh, want to go coach the Carolina Panthers? Does he want to go leave New England? Okay. As someone who's on the record saying that head coaches, you know, need some kind of um, connection to their geography. Otherwise you'll get kicked out. You know, he thinks there needs to be a fit personally or in a background sense, um, just from, from an attitude. I, I'm being totally honest. Does he think he fits in LA? I know I don't, um, but he might disagree because it's hard to see Bill taking football out of his life or football being ripped from his life. If he still is willing and capable of working, you know, what are of course insane hours down at Foxborough. Uh, so again, yes and yes. Dave is asking, we know that Caleb Williams and Drake may are currently the two big name college quarterbacks coming out in the draft, but are there others that could emerge as potential franchise prospects? And what are your thoughts on Shadur Sanders? Thanks. Uh, Shadur Sanders, of course, son of Deion Sanders playing out there in Colorado, shout out to the buffs. So let's start with Caleb Williams because you know, he, he's the biggest name out there. He's getting the, the generational prospect label from anonymous scouts. And, I, you know, from the little I've seen, which has not been much, um, I think he could absolutely live up to that. We're, of course, going to hit the period in February or March where the anonymous scouts also start to trash this player because we get bored and draft season is too long and the nonsense starts to come out as a, just kind of a contrarian take. But I don't think wherever the Patriots land, unless they do get to number one, which I don't think is going to happen, that they'll be able to land Caleb Williams. Because right now the Bears are slated to have the top two picks because they own the Panthers pick. And the Panthers don't have a win. And even if the Bears are just behind the Patriots, unless the Patriots are number one, they're going to have more ammo in any kind of trade to go up to get Caleb Williams with the number one overall pick. And that's assuming it's not the Cardinals who are going to want a new quarterback or any other team in that range. So I, if I'm a Patriots fan, you can dream about Caleb Williams and he's dreaming, but I would start to forget about him and start to think maybe more about Drake May from North Carolina, or as Dave really wanted to know, uh, JJ McCarthy is someone who has my eye. He's going to get the label of played in a pro style offense, gone through certain progressions coached by Jim Harbaugh. Doesn't have the natural talent it seems, but you know, he's a name that's out there. Shadur Sanders. I think you want to see more of just because the variance and I mean, Colorado's entire season has been so high. Once you get beyond those guys, and I know I'm missing one, it's, it seems a little shaky. I don't want to speak too much more because I just haven't studied their tape. Uh, but something tells me I will get the chance to do that in December, January, and February, and we'll have everything more here on the pods. All right, Liam is asking, uh, quote, I am at least optimistic about the offseason. Should Rod Mayo be the new head coach? Any early thoughts on offensive coaching? Keep O'Brien, hire somebody else. Boy, Liam has a lot of questions. Uh, what positions would you spend the over $100 million in cap space? Which positions do you draft? So uh, the answer to each of these questions is really, it depends, which is lame, but the best answer we can give here, again, Monday, October 16th. The optimism about the offseason, I think you should have, because let's say in a scenario that I think most fans don't want to see right now, um, Belichick sticks around, he's going to spend again. Okay. I think the reticence or the reluctance, I keep, I keep flipping reluctance and reticence. Don't, don't do this at home, uh, kids. The reluctance to spend the last two years, my sense is tied to the big spending spree of 2021, which we all know for the most part, like most giant spending sprees in free agency, busted out. John Smith, Nelson Aguilar, on and on and on. But the thing is, the cupboard is about just as bare as it was in 2020. So whether it's Belichick or anybody else, I think they are going to spend, hence optimism. Should Gerard Mayo be the new head coach? 
he should absolutely get an interview. Um, again, people inside the organization have shared with me, they fully believe he will be the next guy. But if this goes further south than even we expect, again, someone uh, who was at Boston GM throughout a five or six win season, let's say this is four and 13. How can you pick from the rubble caused by a Belichick letter organization? someone that came up under him and is still here for this four and 13 to suddenly lead the Patriots out of the darkness. It's a hard sell. And yet it doesn't matter what I think or selling the fan base because Kraft hired Belichick once as someone who was not seen as a, a hotshot candidate. He was a grumpy retread from Cleveland and crafted it anyway. So I don't know whether Drod Mayo should be the head coach. I think his best case is that the Patriots somehow turn this around. Their defense is indisputably you know, top five at worst, top 10 by the end of the year. And they finished seven and 10 or six and 11. As far as the offensive coaching, I don't see a reason to keep Bill O'Brien around. I don't think Bill O'Brien has much to work with, frankly, uh, in even uh, maybe a tiny bit more than Adrian Clem does. But none of the things that I saw in training camp that gave me confidence to tell you, take the over, take the over, take the over, have transpired. He's curbed his playbook a little bit. The ways that they're not using or didn't use DeMario Douglas prior to his concussion, uh, we're underwhelming. Mac again is panicking under pressure. He's the same player that we've seen dating back to the end of the 2021 season, save for that 50 to 10 win over the Jaguars, which thank God for the Jaguars, because otherwise we'd really be talking about now two full years of bad to so-so Mac. So I don't see it spending hundred million dollars in cap space, offensive line, just, just don't make the same mistake you did last year. It's really that simple. Big time wide receivers. Yes. You would also consider a wide receiver because we just ran down some of the um, uh, quarterback prospects. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a dude for Ohio State. And there's a Florida State receiver that's coming up. Keon, I think is his first name, Keon Coleman. Um, this is where I stop because I should really just text friend of the pod, Alex Barth, who's been able to watch a lot more college football than I have this spring, uh, this fall, losing my mind already. Um, but anyway, you can find receivers at the top. They can be impactful. So spend on the offensive line, draft, Whomever is the best, ideally a quarterback, but receiver, there's going to be a good crop here. And I think a lot of depth behind those two guys at the top. Um, that Keon comment's really going to bug me for the rest of the night. All right, so obviously I don't know if you were at work, you were in school, running errands, or just sitting around thinking about that last Patriots game. But I would bet there are some nights you don't feel like cooking dinner or maybe even lunch or maybe even getting up to make breakfast. Well, good news for you as well as for me, we have Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, which can help you fuel up fast just like me, whether it is breakfast, lunch, or dinner. All of their meals are chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat, delivered straight to your doors. You will save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle through Factor. And that's if you are someone who's looking for extra protein with their Protein Plus meals that have 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Or low-calorie, not a problem. Dietitian approved calorie smart meals start at 550 calories per serving. Or if you want something fall, who doesn't? You can go with some of their hearty, comforting meals with seasonal vegetables like cranberry pecan chicken or apple Dijon pork chops ready in just two minutes. That's the deal with Factor. It's quick, easy, and healthy. So right now, go to factormeals.com slash Callahan50. That's my last name, the number 50. Use code Callahan50 to get 50% off. That's code Callahan50 and factormeals.com. Don't wait any longer. Factormeals.com slash Callahan50 to get 50% off your first meals. No more cooking, folks. It's right there. Just click. Anyway, Pat's fan, he is asking, does Pat's ownership have the ability to void any trades or contract extensions under this regime between now and the end of the season? 
if Belichick tries to extend another Dolphins reject, like Kosicki, Mike is, is just catching strays here in the pod. Can Kraft intervene and nix the deal? Yes. And yes, Kraft can do whatever the heck he wants. It's his money. It's his team. He has empowered the head coach slash GM for 20 plus years because that was his decision. And he knows when you hire good people, it's best to let them do their jobs and be empowered. Uh, last three years, of course, would tell you otherwise, because the Patriots record now is something like 26 and 31 over that span. But ultimately, if he doesn't want to pony up an extra couple million for Mike Kosicki, he doesn't have to do it. It's his money. They have all the power in the world. I don't think it's generally wise for owners to get involved. The track record is not good. Uh, but in this instance, if you really wanted to, yes, absolutely. And if Belichick wanted to either buy or sell at the deadline, I think that's something too he would have to get by Kraft because again, Kraft's the boss. It's his team. It's his money. And if it's his players, if Belichick wants to trade for future assets, um, that needs to go through the head man. Two more, uh, three more, sorry. Matt, question. Uh, anyone you suspect of being moved at the deadline? Look, I threw him out number one for a reason. I think he's a good asset. And we know, I know last year, the team got calls about Kendrick Bourne. Jeff Howe, another friend of the podcast from The Athletic, reported the Patriots got calls at the beginning of this season. I think of all the players in the roster, he would be most likely to be dealt. So I would be surprised if Kendrick Bourne is still in the Patriots roster on November 1st, the day after the NFL trade deadline, because it's not only how well he's playing and he's entering, a, he's in a contract year, but you have DeMario Douglas and Tyquan Thornton behind him. And Kayshawn Booty, professional, healthy scratch, Kayshawn Booty, who can't see the field again because he couldn't get one toe down, is lingering. You can give those snaps to them. See what you have. If Thornton's a bust, we'll find out by the end of the year, but only if you play him and you can only play him. And a guy like Kendrick Bourne, who I think would get a fifth or sixth round pick, is, is out the door. Uh, Little just left it at that, asking, quote, with the trade deadline coming up, who's the most valuable piece that they can trade away for decent compensation? He mentions Bourne, Trent Brown, uh, Hunter Henry. Again, <laughs> maybe you're just a glutton for punishment. I don't want to see what the NFL's worst offensive line looks like. When you take away its most talented player and only functioning starting caliber tackle and Trent Brown, who someone in a, another front office told me um, no one but the Patriots wants to pay every year. And that's why he keeps coming back. So, again, Bourne, Uche, you can get into the Jalen Mills conversation. Adrian Phillips is in there. I suppose you could trade Ramondre Stevenson, but I think you probably want to hold on to, you know, the only player in your offense that, again, I say it all the time, keeps opposing defensive coordinators up at night um then you get into the conversation about you know christian barmore or you know I, there's just not much here guys and, and it's a bummer that's why you need the draft picks you need the assets you need the capital to move up to get those players or take on large contracts in free agency in a deal when teams are trying to get under the cap like the saints and the chargers who are way over you know and say okay we'll give you a seven for for keenan allen because really this is a, a salary dump that's just a ridiculous example but it's the point to say you can get good players with big deals for very little because those teams need to get under the cap and can't unless they trade them uh, or cut them. But of course, trading is a little bit better until you're able to give a little bit in return. But you can't ship out those picks if you don't have enough of them to be able to suffer that blow because you deal enough late round picks and then you're just left with four or five. And no rebuilding team should want to have just four or five draft picks uh, in any year. Hans. Quote, if Belichick gets fired, do you think Robert Kraft will hire someone just to oversee personnel and who doesn't report to the head coach? This is a very good question because 
we know Robert Kraft started with Bill Parcells, moved on to Pete Carroll, decided he didn't like the Pete Carroll experience as it was back in the late 1990s. Pete's been much more successful, we all know, and then pivoted back to Belichick, whom he empowered, unlike those two head coaches, with full control and personnel. Which is a long way of saying it's been a long time since Robert Kraft had to make this decision. And I would think if it was, let's say, Gerard Mayo, he would not have full control because he is someone who, yes, played in the league a long time. Yes, very smart guy, charismatic. We've talked about it, did so last week with James White, but only started coaching in 2019. Okay. So that's a guy who's still green when it comes to just being on the sidelines, leading meetings. In a football team, he is super green when it comes to personnel inner workings and front office decisions and those dynamics and handling agents and calls and everything like that. So I think what they would find is a pair, much like the Raiders had in Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, who came in from the same organization, knew each other well, were aligned in their goals and their purpose and their philosophy. It could be a pair from the outside, but this is not going to be, I think, hire one person and then another. Like they'll both report to craft, but they're going to have to be aligned in this kind of sense, because you would think if it's, you know, I'll put it this way. They both report to craft because craft is their boss. Right. But there's not going to be a setup like you've seen in Cleveland and other places where the person who left, who is left standing. Good example actually is, is Brian Flores down in Miami. He and Chris Greer are fighting for their own job security. And so it behooves them when things go bad to blame the other one. And this was something I had heard once. I don't report it. I'm not reporting it now. I'm just sharing it with you as an example. But at the end, someone told me that Brian Flores gave owner Stephen Ross an ultimatum. It's either him or it's me. And you don't want that if you're New England. Of course, Brian Flores lost that. He lost his job. If that's true. I don't know that for a fact. But Kraft won't want that. Kraft knows that's not best. You want a streamlined organization. Maybe the head coach reports to the GM. Maybe they report both report to Kraft, but they're going to have to be aligned because he's been aligned with Bill Belichick this entire time. And that relationship, that stability has been a big reason, perhaps the most underrated reason for the Patriots success all of this year. Kraft wants to win. He is willing to spend until maybe recently, or maybe it's Bill. But the bottom line is they always did what they thought was best and discussed it. And those conversations are going to be super difficult here in the next couple of weeks. I don't know how they're going to go. Adam Schefter said they don't know how they're going to go. But as far as the next head coach and his conversations with them, I'm sure the GM is in the room and everyone is on board in the same way that Belichick has been with Kraft um, as a head coach and GM the last 20, 24 years. So I hope that made sense. It is late. I am off to go do TV. Thank you for riding along here. I, I think this sounded like one of the angrier podcasts we've done, but the point is, guys, and I, again, get zero pleasure from saying this. The Patriots season, as we expected, as I previewed, as I projected, is over. That's one in five. This is all very new territory. And they're nine-point underdogs already against Buffalo, and then go down to Miami after that, and then it's a trade deadline. The trade deadline is what the next two weeks are about. The rest of the season, in my opinion, are about what happens after that in the future and setting up for 2024 in 2025. But let's hope they surprise us. They get a win over a good team, whether it's the next two or later down the road, then they go to Germany. That'll be fun. That'll be interesting. And we'll be bringing you all of the football and the interesting here in the Pats Interference Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We'll see you later this week.